Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. Here's your host, Chris Lee. Commodore fans, on your feet, it's time to anchor down. Welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast presented by Dr. Jody Jones DDS. We are part of the 440 Sports Network. I'm your host, Chris Lee. Today's podcast will feature Luke Wyatt. We'll talk Vanderbilt baseball and basketball. Luke appears on the guest line. That's presented by Michael Kendrick of the Kendrick Group. Michael's a local carpenter and a lifelong Vandy fan. He builds bookshelves, cabinets, picture frames, furniture, and made-to-order items, including a display case from a prized Del Murphy jersey. I've seen Michael's work. He's a true craftsman. If you're in the market for custom woodwork, give Michael a call, 615-830-9458. Now on to our interview with Luke. Luke White joins me today, literally fresh off a trip to Arlington. He drove out there. He drove back. He saw Vanderbilt beat Texas, beat Oklahoma State, lose to TCU. I'm guessing you watched some basketball on TV in between. Luke, thanks for joining us. I know that had to be an exhausting trip. It was fun. I, you know, I like to drive. A lot of people would rather fly anything, but anything within 10 or 12 hours, I'll drive it. I'll drive six hours, stop and then go another six the next morning. But anyway, that's that's lot that's the life of being retired, half retired. Anyway, I uh no, I had a great time. Globe Life Field is a wonderful place. If you had never been there, please go sometimes catch a baseball game. It's uh you know, controlled environment with the roof was on the entire tournament. Uh seventy two degrees, uh great concessions, uh very clean, neat place. Uh I enjoyed it. I really did. Uh I didn't watch any of the other teams play much, uh, but I did why enjoy the Commodores. Uh, got a rough start, but then uh, straightened things out, and uh, hell, I, I, I think we're going to be okay. I'm not worried a bit about us. Yeah, I called you after Friday. I just didn't like the way that game went. It had a lot of hallmarks of the things that frustrated people last year down the stretch. The the watching strikes go by. The inability to throw strikes and you just said hey let's wait and see how it goes the next two days uh, your intuition on that was right um and look you you, yeah. you always ask questions and have doubts but i did think the way they recovered the next two days uh, made a pretty good statement yeah i, I would say this and, and let's start with negative if you want to call it negative or the things we need to work on um too many walks too many hit batsmen, but now that happened a lot from both teams, from all the teams yeah. we played. You know, but, but so that's you can attribute that to being the first weekend of the season, I guess. Um, I, I I didn't uh, I didn't think uh, I thought our pitching depth. We pitched I think eleven kids, and you may know more than I do on that, Chris. And I think Doolin is the only one right now that's not able physically to pitch. So of the sixteen pitchers, yeah. there's only five we didn't see. We didn't see five guys over the weekend. So we got to see eleven different arms out there for at least a couple of batters. Um, I was impressed by probably over half of them. I felt like Carter just as Carter was nothing but control. He couldn't control uh, some of his pitches. Uh, I thought Hunter Owen pitched his B game, not his A game. Uh, I was really impressed Sunday with uh, both both pitchers. Bryce Cunningham and Devin Futrell. I thought they both did a great job. And then Maldonado did a great job finishing up that Oklahoma State game. 
No, look, I think the pitching staff will get a lot better. They got a lot of talent. Scott Brown's got a track record for <laughs> having pretty good staffs. But yeah. the one thing that's been an issue for years has been the free passes. And look, that's the it's the case most places. But I look around the SEC, you had a bunch of teams that would a free pass is a walk or a hit batsman. You had several teams in the league that had five, six, seven for the whole weekend. And I get that you pitch differently when right. the guys that you're facing off are from I don't know, you know, Charleston Southern instead of from Oklahoma State or TCU. But I don't understand the disconnect why so many other teams are throwing strikes with lesser arms other than that and Vanderbilt's not right now. Uh, maybe, you know, I guess, and, and, and I paid attention to this a lot. We got a lot of two strikes on hitters. We were either ahead one, two, or it's two, two, and we wind up walking them. That's the part where yeah. we nibble too much. Uh, I don't that's know. That's, that's been a criticism for a few years. Yeah. That's, that's, that's the only thing I saw that was, uh, again, a negative, but uh, again, first week in this se- season. Now, if, if this, we come out Tuesday, Wednesday against central Arkansas and UAB, and you have the same problem, then you you start to worry a little bit. But um, I, I felt overall, you know, we got 16 pitchers, maybe 17 if Doolin's able to come back. Of all those guys, surely you can find 10 that'll work. <laughs> and I think there's for sure maybe even more than 10 that can pitch well on most days. I felt like a couple of times, especially with Laboki, you left him in the game too long maybe. And I know you can always sure. say that when things don't when things don't go well, you can always say that. Um, but I, that's the only criticism, if I have any from the weekend. I felt like our bats were awesome. Uh, I, I, you know, you you score, and I realize Texas helped us out a ton yesterday. But you still uh, score that many runs. You average nine runs a game. That's going to win you most games. I'll get back to the pitching in a minute. But one of the things the last year or two, it seems like they didn't get runs early. It seemed like the bats would be cold the first time through the order and, and sometimes the second time through. They jumped on Oklahoma State and Texas both early, really early. What was yeah. it? Nine or you know, 18 runs combined in the first two innings against each of those, something like that. That was decidedly different. And look, when you do that too, when you jump out to a big lead, maybe you pitch a little differently you've got a little bit more margin there. I, I won't, I won't totally discount that. Although I don't believe that's really the reason, but just throwing that in there. But yeah, I, I thought it was a very decidedly different approach. And I thought that they were a lot more aggressive earlier in counts, the, the next, especially on Saturday. And I thought that really paid off for them. I agree with you hundred percent. Now, um, you know, even some of the unearned run when, when Espinal hit the grand slam after the errors by Texas, some of those balls uh, that we hit, even though they were right at them, were smoked. So we were hitting yes, the ball. Even yes, yes. Those, those weren't just, you know, terrible errors when you look back on it. But uh, I, I think if you look at the, the lineup as a whole, Chris, um, and I don't want to pick on anybody, but I'll just say it. The only kid throughout the lineup that really didn't have many good at-bats was Bulger. I felt like his at-bats were – very similar to what we saw last year. I think he maybe hit one hard ball to third base, but there he didn't hit the barrel much. And uh, I'm a little concerned with Jack. He's, he needs to be a part of that lineup and he, either as a DH or a catcher. And 
Um, uh, something else I noticed uh, while it's on my mind. Um, did you happen to notice that RJ Shrek, after he misjudged that fly ball, which really cost us in the Oklahoma State game, the very next day he's DHing and TJ McKenzie's in right? Yeah, I think I missed that. There were some innings on Saturday. It's really the only thing I missed. Uh, my daughter had a, a playoff okay. basketball game, and so there was some time in the car where I didn't see anything or hear anything, and some time where I was in the stands watching her and not the phone. So I didn't catch sure. what happened there. No, what happened there was in their big inning, when Oklahoma State got back in the game, I think we were up, I don't know, 9-2 or something. They made it 9-7, I think, or something like that. Anyway, that inning – was uh, a lot of walks, hit batsmen, and then we got a chance to get out number two. There's a high fly ball to right field, and I don't know if Shrek lost it or got a bad jump, but Enrique had some words with him, uh, and then, you know, because the ball dropped and run scored, um, and maybe they were planning on playing TJ and Wright yesterday anyway. I don't know. But it was obvious to me that you know, okay, look, if you're not if you're not going to be able to play the outfield, and it's one play, I get it, it's one play, but it was obvious to me. Very next day, he's not in there. I mean, he's hitting, but he's not he's not back out in right field. Well, I, I don't think it's coincidence that places when I was asking around about concerns, probably the two biggest concerns I heard were. Defense behind the plate, defense and right. I don't know that they're sure they have a true right fielder. And the catching situation, I think, is about to be very up in the air. Well, Espinal, defensively by far, is their best catcher, I think. I haven't seen, of course, Poteet and Law play. But I think Espinal is head and tails above Jack behind the plate. Now, I don't know about calling the game, but I'm saying defensively throwing and the, the way he moves back there and that type of thing. Um, that's why I think this team needs that other bat in Bulger. Now, Calvin Hewitt, Vastine, and Parker Nolan had great weekends. Those three guys hit the ball in the screws when they didn't get hits, and they all got multiple hits as well. So the, I felt I felt really good about the way we swung the bat. We, there was a lot of barrels, barrel balls. There really was. And Shrek just missed a couple. I mean, he hit a couple of moon balls that if he hits it a little bit, uh, stays back just a little bit, they're gone. He's a powerful kid. I can see that in him. Vastine has looked tremendous. And the intel I got on yeah. him preseason was exactly that, that they were really confident in him. But Hewitt is the guy that I think Hewitt has been, man, underrated for about three years now. All that kid does. And, and I think TJ McKenzie is this in a lesser way, although Hewitt can do some things. He can defend a little bit. He's made some good plays. He can run. I don't know if McKenzie can is a base-stealing threat or not. Hewitt's already got four. I know Hewitt has never been like a, a talked-about draft guy. I don't think he was one of the more heralded prospects coming in. But, man, that, that kid has just been a baseball player from the minute he yeah. got to campus. And, man, it, it just seemed like he's even gotten better when I saw him this weekend. Yeah, he was really, really good. I, I, you know, TJ, you know, his first first at-bats, yeah, he, gets, he gets a double. He gets two doubles yesterday. I like TJ in right field. He had a, he only had a couple opportunities, but he, he didn't have any problem filling the ball, and he's got good speed, TJ does. He did make an error on the bases yesterday, 
but uh, besides that, you know, it played really well. I think I, I I'm, you know, you always when one of those early in the year when you're playing that type of competition, you got to win two or three. You want to win two or three, and uh, I felt good about it. Cause I mean, you know, think about how Texas is feeling this morning. They went zipping three down there in their own basic tournament. Uh, them and TCU. Uh, I did think TCU looked like the best team there, not just because yes. they beat. They, they're really good. To use a top 10, they're, they're an Omaha team possibly. But there was, of the teams there, the only team that I saw that doesn't look like an Omaha team to me with pitching and everything uh, is uh, Missouri and Texas. Although Missouri played well, I don't think they have enough depth in pitching to get to, to an Omaha. But I, and, and I don't think Texas does either. Texas looked like they got a lot of problems. Texas looked like the worst team in the field to me. Missouri looked shockingly good. I mean, I thought that they barreled a they lot did. of balls. They found some pitching. And that's going to end up being good for Vanderbilt because that's going to be another team that I think if it Missouri is what I think it is, and I may end up looking like a fool here. But, you know, you, you'd rather beat a team that's <laughs> that's 40 in the RPI than one that's 140 in the RPI. And I have a feeling Missouri's closer to the first than the latter and maybe even better than that. Well, if you look around the league first weekend, I think our team, uh, I think Vanderbilt, uh, had as good a weekend as just about anybody. You know, there's some teams that swept, but they weren't playing anybody. And then you've got yeah. Tennessee lose about a three to a non rank. And you got Mississippi State ahead 10 to one and gets beat by VMI 14 13. Um, Georgia lost the game. Uh, Kentucky lost their opener to Elon. So, you know, there was a lot of, I think Vanderbilt did as good as anybody the first weekend. Yeah, I think that the team that probably felt the best, I mean, I, I thought the teams that probably performed the best, and it's, man, it's hard to say, but LSU, those guys threw strikes. Skeens was outstanding. He struck out 12 and 6, and boy, that's, I'm sure every yeah. time they look at the box score, that rubs some salt in the wound. And and I thought Florida, Florida played really well. Kentucky only gave up three runs all weekend. So that's another case where I thought like the bottom half of the league other than maybe Mississippi State and Georgia, probably outperformed my expectations. And I get that beating weaklings is not a way to judge teams, but those teams didn't walk a lot of guys and give up a lot of runs. And after the pitching was just garbage last year, and and some of these teams were giving up runs to anybody and everybody, it it felt like I, I don't make conclusions based on a weekend like that. I know better. But if I had to right. guess, I would say some of those teams might be a little better than we thought, but that, that may that could also come apart in a hurry. Here's my question for you. Uh, what do you think, the, the three guys that started this weekend, do you think we'll see the same three against UCLA? <sighs> well, I mean, you know you're going to see Holton, and I'm pretty sure you're going to see Owen. I don't know if... Futrell was going to be their third guy. Well, I mean, they didn't announce a guy prior to the weekend. And when you had to go through Dukanich that early, you had to go through, let's see, who else did they burn? Laboki was a guy that I thought might start for them, but he clearly, I don't know, he ran out of gas, what, around maybe pitch 30? Yeah, like maybe I, that's I unfair, like that. but the effectiveness was markedly because I thought his four seamer. I don't know what you could see in the stands. I thought his yeah. four seamer 
the first inning or two was tremendous. And he looked a lot like the old guy. And then something happened where they were just getting everything squared up. Now, there was some talk of pitch tipping and stuff like that. And maybe that's what that was. And I guess you'd hope it is rather than losing his velocity or effectiveness or movement, you know, a couple of innings in. But I, I'm, I'm very interested to see how they handle the midweek. Not just because of the midweek, because like if you pitch guys too much in the midweek, then that probably tips your cap in terms of what you're going to do or not do against UCLA. In other words, let's say Dukanich comes back on Wednesday, throws relief, and throws 30 pitches, I would, I would presume. Well, I guess you couldn't say they couldn't use him against UCLA later. You're asking a question I've wondered about a lot. Futrell is a guy that's... In a lot of ways, fits in that spot, but the I thought the the effectiveness versus midweek teams and the effectiveness versus SEC teams seemed a lot different. Maybe it was a short sample size, but when your fastball tops out ninety one or ninety two, and you you don't dominate hitters, and you're kind of a guy that it feels to me like his stuff plays best, like his best game last year was at the Sounds Park, where he threw a complete game. It's spacious. The ball doesn't get out of there. That covers up for some stuff, and it, and frankly, Bryce Cunningham is in that same boat, right? So I don't know. I mean, that's a long-winded answer saying, I don't know if you can trust Futrell against the, the stud Power 5 teams or not, um, but maybe we're about to find out. I don't know. I think, I think how they use him or don't use him in the midweek will be well, and, and let me rewind that too, right? I don't know if you can bring a guy back on Wednesday after throwing 74 on, on Sunday. So maybe maybe he's no. been cast next weekend already just by default. Yeah, yeah here's the deal. Uh, also, you've got five guys that didn't see any pitching that I'll assume would pitch these next two games, being Patrick Riley. You had Reagan, Colton Reagan. And I, he's, I think he got was had been uh, sidelined a little bit. Maybe I heard that. I'm not sure. Yeah, that's um, true. And Jack Anderson didn't throw. Grayson Carter didn't throw. And one freshman, I think J.D. Thompson didn't throw. Those are the five that didn't throw. So you got to figure you're going to see them Tuesday and Wednesday at some point. I think you will see. My guess. Is that you'll probably see Grayson Car? You'll probably see Patrick Riley start tomorrow. That would right. also leave him available for UCLA. I don't know what the trust level is going to be there, but when it works, it can really work at times. And my mm-hmm. my guess is you see Grayson Carter start Wednesday. Yeah, because the other three guys are bullpen guys, right? I mean, I, I guess midweek a, a bullpen guy can be your first guy in a committee. So it just depends on how you yeah. use the term. Well, you got and you, you have to look at this too. Schultz and Maldonado didn't throw many pitches at all. They threw single-digit no. pitches. That's true. And, yeah. and you so could, got, you could get you, both those guys back, you know, in games and stretch them out for two innings. You could stretch Schultz out for two sure. in one of the midweeks, and you could do Maldonado for three if you wanted. Although. Um, if you're going to do that, you probably do that Tuesday and not, not Wednesday. Well, and, and going back to Laboki for a second, I felt like, like you said, his four seamer was awesome and, and his location stuff was great. First 20 pitches. 
I I think this, you know, he hadn't pitched for two years now, and he, it's the first time he's been on a mound, a real mound, and pitching against competition. You know, I felt like that's the reason why I, I'm, again, not being critical of Brownie, but, you know, trying to let him, and I know what they do, and, and, and Corb's got the same philosophy. They want to see him get out of situations. I get that. But I felt like with Laboki, it maybe been a little up, was a little unfair to him. Yeah, and I get it too. It's one of those things where I think they cost themselves games early in the year, but they know what they have when they get to Omaha. Um, right. You know, Jerry Stackhouse has used some similar reasoning, although I think that <laughs> Tim Tim recruits him a little <laughs> a little different. little different margin of error. Uh, but yeah. What else caught your eye? Um, I, I, again, I was happy for Espinal to be able to catch that fastball and rip it. That, that kid was on a cloud running around the bases. That's good, good stuff from him. Uh, again, his defense behind the plate, the way he bounces around back there, he's really, really – I'm excited about him if he can hit the ball consistently. I mean, he doesn't have to hit a lot. If he can hit 250 and catch the way he catches. Um, I think we've got options defensively. Uh, you know, I think you're going to see a lot of interchangeable parts. There's a lot of kids on this team that can do a lot of the same things and play a lot of different positions. So if one kid gets cold, you take him out of the lineup for a while, let him sit, and bring in another kid with uh, equal ability. I think you see a lot of that. And so if a kid's not doing his job, uh, I think we've got people waiting in the wings that can, can, can fill in for a week or two. Well, the one thing that's going to make this complicated is you've got an abundance of those outfield DH types that are right-handed hitters. Because I'm looking and going, well, you don't know if McKenzie could end up playing a lot. You don't know if you know, could could Bulger DH some. It maybe. Who else? I'm I'm leaving a couple guys out here. Um, well. Anyway, well, Pol- Polk and McKenzie are both right-handed hitters, and so like I, I'm thinking, and, and so is Hewitt. There would be some optimal thing here to where one of these guys was a left-handed hitter, and you could say, well, that's easy. They they start this guy in left or DH when there's a, a righty, and this guy when there's a lefty. But because these all guys are these guys are all right-handed hitters, unless Leneve or Rogers, J. E. Rogers, kind of breaks in that little group of things it's a little bit harder right. to play the matchups and maybe get some of these guys some time well you know at the end of the, i don't know if you've watched the entire texas game but at the, in the in the ninth and this is where the 10 run rule they didn't it's not in effect was good because we got to see uh chris maldonado play we got to see uh ivan arias go to shortstop we got to see Lanive play and get in at bat um J.D. Rogers was actually on deck when we made the third out in the ninth. So he, he was getting some other guys in there. To me, guys that are going to play every day and need to play every day is Hewitt, Bradfield. Uh, that infield played well. Diaz had a couple of miscues, but he, so he's going to be fine, I think. Uh, and then uh, catcher and right field are the two positions that uh, could be in flux a little bit. I felt like Diaz hit the ball a little better this weekend. Much better. No, I, I, 
I was going to say that. Um, even when some of his outs were loud, he uh, he hit the barrel much better. Had much better at bats. Was more selective at the plate. Uh, yeah, I, I was fine with Diaz. Uh, and oh, someone we're leaving off here. Parker Nolan, bless you. He had a great weekend. Oh yeah, he uh, was really good. He, and that's that's key for this team. I think he's huge. Now R.J. Austin looks great too. I love that kid's energy, the way he bounces around. He looks like to me he could play any infield position. I think he's uh, he's an athlete, and uh, I, I love R.J. Austin. I think he's going to be really something special too. I can't comp their offense to one particular team, and when you've covered twenty of them, they start to kind of run together. But this feels like some of his. Oh, pre-national title teams where they had really good offenses and up and down the lineup. Like 11, this isn't a great comp because they had a they had a stud in the middle of that in Westlake. And, and maybe Shrek ends up being that guy that's just a power bat that's hard to pitch around. But they would hit the gaps, Look, hit doubles, hit triples. Man, they had five triples this weekend, although that was a, a product of the I'm, park. They, they'd steal bases. If you made an error, they would bury you. Like the 11 team was like that. It was just relentless. And this, this, I don't know, if, I can't get a comp in my head to a team, but it kind of had that kind of feel where they were pretty balanced up and down the lineup and they really worked you. Well, I can tell you this, if we're, that was a, it's a huge ballpark. It's the center field is like 410 and then it, it juts out to 417 at one spot and the, the gaps are, are deep. They're like 380. So I, I, there would have been, we hit two home runs. Um, if we're playing at home, we would have hit six probably. Uh, Shrek had a couple of roof scrapers that were caught uh, on the warning track. They would have been out, no doubt, in Nashville. Yeah, there were a lot of home runs hit this weekend. and I think D1 said more than opening weekend last year. Um, I, I know you and I both think they're going to they're gonna tap down more on the, the bat tampering, which we both think went on a lot last year. And I know that yeah, that's know an that SEC works. thing, but I, I don't know if, if, if that was in play this weekend at other places or or guys are just that, that much stronger or are the bats just out of the box or that much more potent? I don't know. Are the, are the balls different? I don't know what's going on. Well, and it could be just coincidence. Who knows? You know, you just don't know yet. I, I think it's not a large enough sample size yet. But now we get through next weekend and a couple of midweek games and it's still happening then, yeah, that may be it. So, you know, every manufacturer wants to make their bats the hottest. Uh, they want to make it to where, you you know, you know the old saying, chicks love the long ball, that type of thing. I, you know, I I just think as long as it's legitimate and you're not doctoring the bat, rolling them or getting them, uh, uh, what's it called when you do the inside shaved. of the bat? Not shaved. When you shave the bats, as long as you're not doing anything like that where it's really dangerous when it's coming off the bat so much faster than it's thrown. Uh, I don't have any problem with it, but uh, you're right. There was a lot of home runs hit around the country. And in that ballpark the other day, I didn't think it'd give up as many as it did during the tournament. But uh, like I said, we would have hit a bunch. We'd have been in national. Yeah. I was surprised just because that, that park is big. More balls got out of it than I thought. And I thought that in that park, you're probably going to throw more strikes because you've got a lot of margin for error to play with given the dimensions there, the foul territory, all those things. That's really what surprised me is that the pitching numbers weren't better across the board. Because I know Vandy wasn't the only staff that had trouble with certain things. Arkansas 
had, had its issues pitching too. And, and boy, TCU, uh, what Arkansas beat TCU was at 18 to one on Sunday. Yeah, their first two days they were great. TCU was, but that I guess they ran out of pitching. It sounds like to me on that third day. And, and I think maybe you told me, Chris, their their starter against us had like a starter of like uh, an ERA of seven last year, where he pitched before. Yeah. So that tells that tells me they probably had four or five guys they felt comfortable with, and then it fell off big time. Yeah, no, that kid also had a 270 ERA as a reliever the year before that at Kansas. And, of course, I'm sure they'd seen him being in the same league and all that. And sometimes just a, right. a guy in his fifth year. Like, I remember, who was the kid at Austin P that played against David Price Kelly. in 07? Yeah, like, uh, Kelly, Kelly was a fourth-year guy that it just kind of worked out. He ended up pitching in the bigs for 10 or 12 years. I mean, sometimes with a guy like that, just that fourth or fifth year, it starts to pop. Maybe that's the case. It wouldn't be the first. Yes, because when you get to that age, an older kid in, in college baseball is always better because they're so confident. It's a confidence thing more than anything. You know, you saw that in Tennessee last year. They were probably one of the oldest teams in college baseball. And, you know, guys like Lipschitz and Lipscomb and uh, all them other guys this season of the Vandy Sports Podcast has been made possible by my friend, Dr. Jody Jones, DDS. When it comes to general or cosmetic dentistry services, Jody is the best in Nashville. Just check out his client list. It testifies to that. He sees movie stars, music stars, athletes, coaches, you name it. Jody is the dentist of choice for stars in Nashville, but he sees regular folks like you and I as well. What people love about Jody's office is the ambiance. It's relaxing. It's friendly. Someone described it to me as a tooth spa. Whether your needs are general or cosmetic, go see Jody today. Call him 615-270-2322. See him at 55 Music Square East, not far from downtown or the Vanderbilt campus. Jody is a former Vanderbilt football player and a huge Commodore booster, so go and talk Vandy sports with him while you're there. Go see Jody Jones today. Thank him for his support of this podcast because without it, this season would not be possible. Let's talk hoops for a minute. Um, I'm sure, sure you saw the Auburn game. What were your thoughts there? It, very similar to the Tennessee game. Uh, just to grind it out, Auburn played great defense. I thought our defense in, in the paint was terrible in the first half. I was really worried about that. You know, the, the Williams kid was going off, and we didn't seem to have any answers. Um, boy, I just think that's a game we could have really used another big body in there. I was uh, looking to see if at some point we may have played Quentin and Liam together, but I understand why we didn't because Liam had two fouls, and you didn't want to get both your bigs maybe with foul trouble. I, um, I just felt like it was another one of those grinded-out games. Uh, we've now, in this five-game streak, we've won by one point, by two points, and by three points. Uh, and then, of course, we had the eight-point and 11-point win. But uh, it's the way we have to win. We have to play solid. And Ezra right now is playing fantastic. Yeah, that last possession, and a text to Joey to ask, have him ask Stackhouse. I was watching at home. I watched most of the games from home. I just too much. Mm-hmm. Between sure. covering three sports and, and the SEC side and all I do, but I text him, and fortunately he didn't hear it, but I wanted to ask him about the timing of that play because Ezra was taking his sweet time bringing the ball up the floor. There was nine seconds yep. left or something like that when they – and I'm thinking he's taking too long. 
I'd rather leave a little margin for but man, he ended up timing that perfectly. He really did. And if you look on the replay, Liam Robbins set a screen that actually screened out three guys. That one guy was kind of to he he had a clear path, but he stayed back thinking they were going to do the lob possibly to Liam. And then by the time he got over, it was too late to block his shot. And to give Ezra a ton of credit for getting it high on the glass, because if he goes up with the normal layup, it's blocked. So he did it. He just, again, the kids, uh, you can tell he's, he didn't get too rattled when the situation's like that. And I love that. Not just because he made that shot. And I want to shout out, I want to give a big shout out to the Trey Thomas. He made two of the biggest defensive plays in that game that may have gone unnoticed. That, in the no, last he did four. one, one in particular. Yeah. Yeah, he was. So, you know, uh, we, we've all been critical and I've been myself been critical of Trey, but, uh, you know, we say, well, all he does is shoot a three, but, uh, he, he proved us all wrong in that situation. Well, you know, there was another play too late. I thought they defended Wendell Green really well. And and I think he ended up getting fouled on a maybe a – I think I've seen worse contact. They had Robbins there as a trail defender. It just didn't go their way. But, like, I even thought on that end of the four they made some plays when it mattered. You know, uh, Chris, and, and again, let's uh, I talk about officiating all the time, but let's do this. Why is it that you can go a whole, a whole game and let big – bang on each other and you know Liam gets raked his arms look like he's been prize fight when he's through and vice versa they all get banged down low and you can see a guy going to the rim he gets bumped and they call foul I don't understand that I, I, I don't officials got to see the film they got to do their job and study that stuff the inconsistency of that is just mind-boggling yeah yeah I, I mean that's well, that was you're a, not the first person to say that that's a physical basketball game the other night. Those kids have to yeah. be worn out after that because they're beating on each other. Okay, I'm looking up some SEC leaderboard stuff on Sports Reference. Win shares per 40 minutes in the SEC. Liam Robbins, number one, 0.255. Box plus minus, Liam Robbins, number one, 13.1. Offensive box plus minus, Liam Robbins, number one, 9.2. And defensive box plus minus, he's not on there, but I think some of that's because of his team. Um, Offensive rating, he is fifth in the league. Defensive rating, they only go top 10. He's not there. And there's another one I wanted to look up. Uh, I think it's player efficiency rating, and I can't. Oh, here it is. And he just keeps going up in this. Like usually, you, get, you get less efficient the more you're used. Like he was a 32 a couple of weeks ago. He's a 35.2. Next guy on the list, number two in the league, Oscar Sheboy. He is a full, you know, almost six points ahead of him there. And, well, and that's ahead of number two. Yeah, two things I attribute that to, Chris. Number one, first, think about this. He's missed four and a half, five games, okay? He also is starting to hit the three. That's what's really put him over the top. He's always been pretty good around the hoop, but the last, what, in this five-game winning streak, I don't know, and you could probably look it up. How many threes? What's his three-point percentage in the last five or six games? 
I'll, I'll look it up as you're talking. So go ahead with wherever you were going to go next. It's got well, his his three point percentage has got to be over fifty percent in those six games. Got to be. Um, one I know one game he was three for three or four for four. Um, I, and listen, I don't know who the four ahead of him were in that one stat you gave. I'm interested to see if any of them are post players or are they guards. You know, I, that, that's uh, the other which, thing. Which like stat? The stat where you had you he said he you said he was fifth in. Oh, um, I'm not sure which one it was. It was like the fifth. Well, well I mean, he's off. he's number one in like four or five of those. So I'm trying to remember the one where he's not number one, but on the list. It was like the fourth or fifth stat you read off somewhere well, in that area. It. It, anyway, it, because I don't see if there's any other post players like that. I could see totally. Oh, oh, it was it was. Like, well, it was it was offensive win shares, but that's a function of playing time. The guys mm-hmm. ahead of him were Kobe Brown, Brandon Miller, Oscar Sheboy, Wade Taylor, and Tyrese Radford, all of whom have played a lot more than he's played. Okay, so really only one post. Yeah, Sheboy. I mean per per minute, per minute, his he's the best player in the league. Statistically. I think so. Get ready to come with next is how in the world can you leave him off the all SEC team? Now, I well, don't know if that's a 10-man. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you how, um, and I'm not, I'm not arguing this, right? I think I'd put him right. on the first or second team, but the, the minutes played, and, and see, that's a big stat for me because coaches generally play their best players more minutes. Um, I'll just I'll leave it at that. Um, like Anthony Black's number well, one on the this. list, 959. Um, number 10 on the list is Michi Johnson to South Carolina. Let me find Robbins because Look, do this for uh, me, Chris. I'm sorry. Excuse me. Do this. No, for it's me. okay. Take out the, five, take out the five games. He didn't play. Okay. Cause Stackhouse has no reason. He can't play him when he's, when he's injured. Okay. So take those four. five out. Let's just take the game. I thought there was another one where he did Alabama. Did he only play half of a game there or something? Maybe that um, Yeah, he played. That was his first game back, and they were getting blown out. Yeah. Anyway, so let's say let's just say for argument's sake, five games where he didn't play very many minutes or no minutes, zero minutes. So if you take those other games, where does he work? I'm sorry, I lost you there for a minute. Well, what I'm saying is, okay, uh, did the other guys play 30? You know, we're at we're at game uh, 27 on the schedule. All right, yeah. are we comparing this to 22 games and somebody else has played 27 games, or how are we comparing this? Well, I'm com- I'm just going total minutes on the year, right? And and for example, Anthony Black at Arkansas. If if you take the mm-hmm. minutes and divide it by 40, he's played 11 full games more than Liam Robbins has played and then another, you know, 10 minutes or whatever it is. Now, again, some of that is, you know, take, take out the, so the, the time he missed, but even then the, I mean, the, even then, like if you could factor that in, he wouldn't be in the top 10 in minutes played. Okay. That's, that's what I was wanting to find out. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's a full, he's a full almost 450 minutes behind the league leader in minutes played. No, he he's more than that. It's what, 460. Uh, and, and he's even an, a good, 
Oh man. Um what? 260 off the top 10. So, you know, well, add we, add 160 minutes back in. Let's say that the four games he missed, he plays the whole time. He's still he's still 100 and something minutes shy of cracking the top 10 in minutes. If right. that makes sense. Um No, it does. And then the only other thing I would say to that, Chris, and, the, and I'm always trying to play devil's advocate, if you're if you're a post player, where is he with just centers, another fives. In other words, if you're a five, how many? Where is he on minutes played as a five? Because uh, they in the, more fouls. Yeah, Sheba is in the top ten at eight twenty-seven. Um, KJ Williams is number five overall, eight sixty-seven. Brandon Miller, he's not really a post. Uh, he's got eight eighty-one. So yeah, there's a, there's a few bigs in there. Colin Castleton. Let me see what he's doing was doing before he got hurt. Because Castleton, was, he was on the floor all the. Yeah, he might have been in the top ten. Castleton has played eight hundred and eleven minutes, and that's having missed what two or three games now where he's been out. So Castleton would have been in the top ten in minutes easily before he got hurt. I tell you, a guy that like for Tennessee that started for a long time, he doesn't anymore. I don't think, but like Plopsich, his minutes have to be way down. Because he gets well, no, he trouble. doesn't. He doesn't play that many. Uh, I mean, he doesn't anyway. But yeah, I think I lost you there. But we've got two. We've got two games this week, and I, I've always said the whole year, let's take them two at a time. We've got two more winnable games. Um, we can continue this streak. I think this week. Now again, I, I worry about LSU like I did South Carolina. Um, I think LSU will play more energy, play with more energy than South Carolina did. Um, offensively, they're not very good. Let's just hope it's not one of those nights where they pop up and hit ten threes or something, because then you can get beat, and that can happen to anybody. So we got we have to go in with the same type of attitude and carry it through. And then you got Florida without Castleton. Um, I think our and you get to play them at home. And I do think this. I'll go ahead and say this. I think Saturday will be the most Vanderbilt fans in the gym. Hear what I'm saying. Most Vanderbilt fans in the gym for an SEC game will be Saturday. Yeah, I think you're probably right about that. I mean, boring, boring them losing at LSU, which I would be very surprised if that happened. Right, right, right. Are you ready for the mailbag? Absolutely. The mailbag is sponsored by Sutherland and Belk, a family-owned injury law firm. If you or a loved one has been hurt in an accident, give Taylor or Russell a call, 615-846-6200. See what your rights are and if they can help. Um, I'm just going to take these in order. Ann Arbor Door, how are bats monitored or assessed? These out-of-conference games, are there stickers, for example? I don't know the answer to that. You may, Chris. I don't know the answer to that. I believe last year the NCAA had a process in place where they were inspected pre-series. And I don't know. I don't know that that's changed. And it was through stickers. Yeah. I would think. No, the SEC is making some changes, but that's, that's a different story. So thank goodness. 
All right. I'm just going to go in order of asked, so we're going to go all over the place here. I think you've answered this one before, but maybe not. Hogan knows wants to know if you foresaw the Temple game fiasco in Mason's first game. Foresaw it? No. No. Of course, think about it. I mean, I think we had, what, six or seven turnovers in the game, so that was part of it. I just remember it was the whole uh, thing seemed disjointed because we had a lightning delay. It was just a bad feel for the whole game i mean the whole setup and you could see in camp that we seemed disjointed and i felt like uh you know you know how you whistle by the graveyard that's what i felt like that whole day (laughs) as it turned out it was the graveyard well i remember vegas wasn't whistling by the graveyard that's back when i was on the radio and i had a pregame show and i remember the topic Uh coming up that line dropped it had been 17 at one point and it dropped to six the day of the game and i I know like, what wow. everybody's like, what's going on here? Like somebody knew something. I still don't know what that was about. Well, you know, I, we saw that in basketball the other day. Who would have thought Alabama would have been a three and a half point underdog, Tennessee? Well, but I can Vegas, defend that one, but I'll let you finish and I can tell you why. Well, what I was going to say is who can, how Alabama had not had that many turnovers in a long time, maybe the Oklahoma game. But Alabama just—they just dribble a ball off their foot. It almost looked like the fix was in. <laughs> well, I—I I don't. I would have taken Alabama to win that game, but the computers—that is exactly where the computers had the line. Was it three and a half? The the predictive ones had it right there, three three and a half. So I guess Vegas was just going off what the computers had. Now look, Tennessee didn't have Josiah Jordan James or. Phillips. Oh, somebody else. So there were a couple. Phillips. Oh, it was Julian Phillips. So like that—that that wasn't exactly apples to apples, but it was—it was interesting that the line ended up being exactly what the computers had it being. Yeah, that that how how that happens, I still don't. Uh, it's, you know, because if you Tennessee and Alabama play again in the SEC tournament, who do you think would be favored on a neutral floor? Well, I think we both know. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So I. I don't know. I, I just don't think you can project how they had that many turnovers because that was what the game was. It was 19 turnovers well, to like eight. I can, I can explain that a little bit too. Tennessee is very aggressive. It's very handsy, and mm-hmm. Tennessee's playing at home. And the game is going to be called a lot yeah. different in your arena than it is in somebody else's. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And that, and that goes for everybody. I'm not picking on Tennessee there. But, okay, um... SR Kane, what do you expect from the rest of the basketball season? I fear we'll lose to LSU because they are talented and bound to have a good shooting game. Don't foresee us winning at Rupp, but think we will win against Florida and Mississippi State. Either way, it'll be a fun sprint to the SEC tournament. Well, look, and I'll, I'll to state be Captain Obvious here, but we can win them all, and we can lose them all, and that's that's very true. I think that. Uh, if we keep playing at the level we're playing, we didn't play our best game against Auburn. We really didn't. I felt like that we left a lot on the table offensively. Now, you give credit where credit's due with Auburn's defense. And I still don't think we've played 40 minutes of defense in a game yet. Uh, I think we still can be better defensively as a team. Um, so, you know, I, 3-1 would be my guess if you if you hold a gun to my head, 3-1. But like I said, win them all or lose them all. We really could. 
I thought they had a shot in Rupp until about a week ago. Kentucky showing up and playing the way it has, I think, and it's right. going to be senior day for whatever that's worth. Uh, and Sometimes Kentucky's got something to play for. Right. I will say this. Sometimes senior day, and a co- any coach will tell you this, they hate senior days because it's a distraction. And I don't know how Kentucky does theirs, whether they do it before the game at halftime or I don't know how it works, or post-game. Um, I know Jim Foster always did it after the games, and I always thought that was the smartest thing. Even though you you take take the chance that you're doing it after a loss, it's still a distraction early on, the emotions and stuff, because you can play poorly for that first four minutes and be down 10 or 15 points. So I, that's it part seemed, of it I kind of like. Yeah, well, it seemed to me like Kevin Stallings was like two for 15 on senior days. It just seemed like that his yeah, we team's were, always yeah, played their worst game on senior days. I, I agree. It just really did seem that way. Uh, other than when Shane Foster um, – you know, got his rain down three. Got, got his body possessed <laughs> by something not from this world that night. So, yeah, <laughs> I guess it. I guess it yeah. pays to be close to God. Um, let's see. Godor's ninety four. Do you recall recall the story of Ron Mercer's recruitment to Vanderbilt? Yeah, I I talked about this on a uh, previous, but actually, when we did that twenty year thing, we I think I talked about this. Uh, Ron was not going to come to Vanderbilt. There was a, a provost who uh, uh, said he's not getting in. She uh, she by, she said he's not coming to Vanderbilt. I don't care. He's not getting in. His his transcript isn't good enough. This that and the other. And that was that. And also, and I've said this, Coach Van Bredekoff let Drew recruit the kid. Jan kind of stepped back and le- left it up to the Maddox family because you know he had lived with Drew and Ray and. Uh, he felt like they know him better than I do, so I'm going to kind of step back, and I'm not sure that was helpful. And then, of course, Kentucky's well, puts always a guy got in an one. awkward spot. It does, doesn't it? And, and then you have Kentucky. Uh, if they really want somebody, you're not going to pry them away for obvious reasons. Let's just leave. We all know what I'm talking about. All right, Ann Arbor, Luke, who was your favorite coach to work for and why? Well, I've said this before as well. I loved a lot of them, a whole lot of them. Uh, Bobby Johnson, he was just a class individual. What a class man. Uh, but there's been a lot of great guys. I worked for man, 11 different coaches at Vanderbilt, uh, head football coaches and other sports as well, coaches. So, But football coaches, which what you're talking about, and I, I have to say Bobby Johnson was as class as anybody. Raiders 1967, as Luke White is in charge of establishing priorities for construction of new facilities for Coach Lee's football program, what are your top three priorities, and how do those appear to be met in the renderings for the new facilities that were released? Well, the first thing I do would have done, and they may have done this, I don't know. I hadn't asked Clark this. I would have a, my seniors, or and maybe some juniors, or just guys on the team that you trust say guys what's most important to you locker room training room um, stadium which is your most important thing to you when you go when you went on your official visit or if you were to start your recruitment all over again and go on official visit what do you look for and that's what i would do and spend the most money and time on 
I don't care what a coach's office looks like. You know what I mean? That's not as important as obviously a locker room. To me, the locker room, training room, and where you eat, the dining facility. Uh, one thing Vanderbilt's always lagged behind in that I think, and hopefully the new project will solve this, is having a place for the players like a player lounge. They've never had a they've had a little small area, but they've never had a big, nice one like I saw at Clemson. And I think that's one thing that the new facility really needs to do is have a place because that's where you build camaraderie. The guys in there shooting pool together, playing ping pong together, or what other games they play nowadays. Um, you really because they, they it means they're hanging out at the facility, and that's good. Raiders nineteen sixty seven. What player on Vanderbilt's current football roster does Luke believe will be a present pleasant surprise for those? Who, excuse me, I can't speak today. For those of us who haven't Talk viewed to- the players in person nearly as much as Luke has at games or practices. Well. I'm not going to mention the obvious guys like Taylor and and Mahoney, but I will mention, I do think it's the defensive backs. I think you're going to see guys like Gaskins and maybe Wharton and some other guys that didn't play last year. And you'd be pleasantly surprised with their development. I think that's what you're going to say. I don't want to single out one guy, but I do think that position, the secondary is where you're going to see the most improvement. Is that based on info or just gut feeling? But watching them in practice. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Vanderbilt basketball. Can you talk about the disparity between Andy Katz's ranking of Vanderbilt at 24, the RPI ranking of 47, and the net ranking of 88? Is there particular rankings that Vandy fans should pay more attention to than the others? Wins aside, is there a perceived magic number ranking that we should be paying attention to, i.e. 60 in the net, et cetera? I defer to you on that, Chris, because I don't. Again, I just look at it two at a time. I'm not the person to talk to about that part. Okay, well, you can handle it. I I I I study this stuff a lot when Vanderbilt's involved or not, right. just because I sort of enjoy it. But okay, yeah. Andy Katz's ranking, uh, which was that was his power rankings. That that means nothing. Uh, nor does the AP poll or the USA Today poll or my ranking of teams or your ranking of teams or anything like that. Um, The RPI ranking means nothing. That's not used anymore. The net ranking is 88. That means something, but what means more is what you did. Look, net is a a sorting criteria, right? And people have been – Vanderbilt fans are very critical of net, which – um, go figure. Uh, the rating system that doesn't like your team is the one that you hate. And I'm not trying to pick on anybody, but I will tell you this. You you probably need to be <laughs> grateful about some aspects of that, and this is what I mean. Um, Vanderbilt, I think they use these more to sort quads. In other words, they want to see what you did against different levels of teams, right? And they've got to have some compass to figure that out. Well, right now, Florida on the road is a quad one win. Um, so the computers like Florida. People have been bashing Florida, saying they're not as good. I agree. Well, guess what? That's quad one win because Florida is a top 75 net team and Vanderbilt got that on the road. Same with Auburn. Do I think there are 30 teams better than Auburn? I probably do at this point. But guess what? Auburn right. is number 30 in the net today. Now, if Auburn drops one more spot – from 30 to 31, that is a quad two win and not a quad one win. So all the fans out there that are bashing the net, 
Um, not, not that it matters. It's not like the committee's going to say, uh, oh, the, the Vandy fans don't like the net. So we're going <laughs> to, we're going to wipe that out. It's not how it works. But what, what I'm saying is there are things, I don't think it's the ranking that matters so much. Now, look, I think there's, there's some, you can't use a system and fall on it and say, well, you know, they're, they're 215 in the net, but their resume is this. So we're going to, no, I mean, at, at some point, you can't lean on a system and say that the number besides that team's ranking is, is meaningless. So I, I don't know what the committee's tolerance is. If it's if it's after 80, I think um, somebody got in in 2019 with a 73 net. I think it was New Mexico. While you had NC State, which was a 33, got left out. So that's the thing. They You're they fine. do look within the net at certain things. And I think they probably dig in on those wins a little bit more too. But if you want to comp for what they are, I would check out Rutgers last year. Rutgers got in the tournament with an 80 net. Now, it had a worse out-of-conference strength to schedule. It had two quad four losses, whereas Vanderbilt had one. I think both teams had a quad three loss. Or Vanderbilt's got one. Maybe Rutgers didn't have any. But the difference was, I think Rutgers had eight or nine wins against teams that were seeded 12 or better that made the field. Um, and I think about most of those were top seven teams, top seven seeds in, in the field. Um, and Rutgers had several against teams that were like two and three and, and four. So Rutgers really had some high-end wins. Um about two to two and a half times more than Vanderbilt's got right now. Uh, Vanderbilt's wins, Tennessee right now is going to be a three in the net. In fact, they they said that this weekend when the committee released its preliminary. The other teams right now, the other wins, I, I think Arkansas, Auburn, and Pitt would all be in right now, but you're probably going to be seeing those teams seated anywhere from eight to 11. So they've got four wins against teams that are going to be in the field, but the difference between them and Rutgers a year ago is Rutgers' wins. Uh, Rutgers had, um, you know, for, for one win that Vanderbilt had of the Tennessee caliber, Rutgers had about four or five. And, and Rutgers got sent to Dayton. So that's the one. And, and it's year to year, it's different, right? It's not, right. I, I can't tell you for sure until I started comparing them against the field this year. Um, which I've not done yet. I mean, that, that takes hours of research to do, and I haven't had the time yet. And frankly, they haven't been in position to be that relevant yet. And, and if they get there, I'll do it. But if you just want having nothing else to look at, look at Rutgers last year, and a lot of a lot of fans have leaned on conference record for Vandy, which at best could end up 12-6. and six. Well, Rutgers was 12-8 and eight last year in the Big Ten that's better than the SEC. So I think a lot of the things that fans are holding their hopes on I'm not sure that the committee is going to feel the same way. And, and again, that I think their resume, that's the, the obvious comp last year. Um, Rutgers was worse at the bottom, a lot better at the top. And, and the other metrics, league record, that kind of thing, overall record, net were about the same, and, and Rutgers got sent to Dayton. But again, could, could be different this year. I haven't done the work on this year, but it's going to be a – it's going to be tough. I, I think they have to win out in the regular season to feel great about it. If they get three and maybe they get one or two in Nashville, then I think maybe they got a chance, but that's going to depend on other people. And it's, I don't think it's a slam dunk. 
Okay. Well, let me, let me say, let me stop there. And here, here's my point. After you speaking, it's brought up two or three things in my mind. Number one, let's go back to the first year when we had our first podcast and we talked about Vanderbilt and you said that they were predicted to win two conference games to beat Georgia, uh, excuse me, to beat South Carolina and Ole Miss at home. That was it. So we were only favored in two games. That's the first thing. So now we've accomplished. Is, is that, is that trip. this year or was that last year? No, no, no. This year. No, no, Ken, Ken Palm. Paid. Well, before the season, Ken Palm had them going, I think, 7 11 in the SEC. Where did the favorite come from? Oh, oh, okay. I, 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 know, what you're ta- I know what you're talking about. That was individual. Okay. In other words, like if you're a, if you're a 45% favorite to win in, right. in, in every game, so you got 18 games, you're 45% favorite to win every time. Game by game, mm-hmm. you're going to be 0 and 18. Uh, the computer is going to say you're you're an eight and ten team if that makes sense. I see because because I, I was like, I was thinking any computer that tells you we're going to be two and sixteen, I, I, you might as well throw it, unplug that computer. That's what I was thinking. Okay, next question. Here here we go. Uh, or this is a fact actually. I know, and I don't even remember what year this was, but I knew two people that were on the selection committee, and I don't know if these rules are still the same. You may know. If a coach in your conference or if someone is on the committee, let's say someone that was at Vanderbilt, and I'm going back to CM Newton and I'm going back to Terry Holland here. I know for a fact we got in one year just because of two guys being friends. So the human element wow. is what I'm talking about. Think about this. The human would that, would that have been Stallings last year? It may have been. I don't know the year, but I can tell you this. I just knew for a fact because I was told this by one of those individuals. So the human element is something that we can't factor in. Who in that room has a vendetta against a Vanderbilt or a vendetta against a Tennessee? That's the stuff you can't measure. And that's the part to where you get a weird thing where how did they get in and how they didn't. Sometimes it has nothing to do with stats. It's like, okay, is there a reason we could get them in? Let's put them in because so-and-so likes them and he does too. And then unfortunately, that's life. We all have biases. And I think that's the part that we don't figure in. It's not just the numbers. To be honest, it's not super hard to predict the field. I mean, 30 teams you know no. are getting in anyway, no. and then you can have another you know, 25 or 30 that you know we're like if Kansas doesn't win the conference tournament you know Kansas is getting in they're not all that easy but like I had a I've had a year or two where I've I think I had a year where I might have nailed them all and I've had one or two where I've only missed one or two and it's not that hard you're really only dealing on the margins with maybe four to six teams yeah and and sometimes the committee will do something really screwy that doesn't make any sense at all um, so that's the factor that I watch. Like I thought A and M last year, based on if you counted all A and M's games and just said they did this against this quad and that against that quad and they beat these teams, it, it was laughable that they left Texas A and M out a year ago. Okay, one other question while it's on my mind: We does it matter what the teams that we lost to, like a Memphis, a VCU, a Southern these teams that are probably again as an at large Grambling? By winning their comp, does that factor in at all? 
Well, yeah, I mean, I don't think losing to Memphis hurts them all that much. Um, although they're, they're 10 and five at home and that might be something the committee looks at a little bit sideways. I, I think really their issue, and I know everybody circles the Grambling loss and yeah, that was a big deal. I heard Gary Parrish say this morning that a quad four loss is basically like losing two games. And so you, you take that one off and it gets better, but it's, they still had stuff to do. Like even if you turn the Grambling loss into a win, I don't think they're in the field today. Um, now right. wh- where they missed their opportunity was not picking up a win against it was that, but it was also not beating a, a Memphis or a Southern Miss or a St. Mary's. If you look at teams, and I'll, I'll size this up quickly. I'll just I'll just call these teams. It'll be thirteen seeds or better if they get in. That's Memphis, Southern Miss, St. Mary's, VCU, Pitt. NC State, Missouri, Tennessee, Arkansas, Alabama, Kentucky, A and M, Alabama. How many is that? Oh, I don't. I stopped. I, I, were, I wasn't counting, but it's got to be. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll count them. I'll, I'll go game by game. Okay, go ahead. Okay, I'll count them this time. Memphis zero and one, Southern Miss zero and two, St. Mary's zero and three, VCU zero and four, NC State zero and five. I'm sorry, I missed Pitt. That's one and five. Uh, Missouri, one and six. Tennessee, one and seven. Arkansas, two and seven. Alabama, two and eight. Kentucky, two and nine. A&M, two and ten. Alabama, two and eleven. Um, Tennessee, three and eleven. And Auburn, four and eleven. That's their problem. Okay, but now I've also heard this, and I, I think it was you that told me this. They don't look at a difference if you lose by two or win by two against a good team. Right. Well, no, no, well, no, no, no. no, no. That's, 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 that's how the net works. The, the net is a sorting mechanism, right? The net is a, it's okay. like a compass. It's like saying, because otherwise, here's what you get, right? You, you could say, well, UNC Asheville 16 and two in the Big South. Conference right. record, dominate. Okay, well, the, the the net is a thing to sort of quantify the stuff that we already know that the Big South is right. not as good as the SEC, and it 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 right. basically one hundred percent of the time gets that right. Um, right now, it it will miss it will miss on the edges, right? Uh, and I even heard Ken Pomeroy say this once: like Wisconsin used to every year be rated. Everybody like, how are they that good? And Ken Pomeroy himself even said, no, I don't think Wisconsin is as good as my computer spits out every year. But generally speaking, like you, you don't see stuff like, and, and the net very much tracks with Ken Palm. And here's the principle behind predictive computers that people don't understand it. Let's say that, let, let's say that Vanderbilt is playing against Houston. And let's say that, let me just pick a team at random. Wisconsin-Milwaukee is also playing against Houston. You want to compare those teams, right? Let's say that Vanderbilt loses, and I'm I'm going to be absurd with the comparison to make the point, okay? Let's say that Vanderbilt loses to Houston on a neutral floor all 10 times it plays by one point. Let's say that Wisconsin-Milwaukee, or maybe they just go by Milwaukee now, plays Houston 10 times, it goes 1-9. and The one game it wins is one point. The, The 10 it loses, it loses by an average of 50. Who would you not want to play, Vanderbilt or Milwaukee? Just based right. on that, that's what predictive computers right. do. 
And the, the problem that Vanderbilt has got is that a lot of these games, they played everybody close. The wins were close. The losses to, um, oh, good grief, Alabama A&M. Alabama A&M, I think, is in the 320s in the net. That's where it is in Sagarin, or not Sagarin, in, in Ken Palm. The problem is that that was a one-point game. It ended up being an eight-point game, but like South Carolina, 200-and-something in the net. That was an overtime win here. The, the problem is Vanderbilt's games were close, most of these. And, and the computer says, okay, well, you know, you, you're eight points off Alabama A&M. You know, you, you're probably not that good. You, you win these games, you win close, you beat South Carolina close, you're probably not that good. Now, that gets even out. You, you, you play in Alabama close, you beat a Tennessee, you do things like that, and those things start to go back in your favor. But all the computer's doing is saying over the course of the season, we take all that body of work over those 27 games and we make a calculation based on that. Now, what the committee will do is they'll look at that and say, okay, Vanderbilt's 87 bet is, you know, 87 in the net, but it's got some good wins and we think there's a better team in that. There's latitude for committees to make decisions like that. That's why they meet. But for people wondering why they're so low in some of the computer metrics, that's it. Okay, and final question. How much does it weigh on a team for let's take Florida, for example, who has lost their best player for the year? How much does that weigh in on selection? I don't know if they'll dig in at the level to say Vanderbilt won at Florida when it had Castleton. That's getting pretty deep because you got to do that for a bunch of teams. But they do look at, for instance, they might say, well, Robbins was out four games. They lost three of them. Now, if you look at those games, um, the only game that he might have made a difference in well, I shouldn't say make a difference. Uh, I think they lost two of them pretty badly, and then one was that A&M game that was pretty close. They will well, consider that. I, I don't know I, if they'll go back and say, well, you know, they beat Florida with Castleton or without. And, and that's that one's going to even out either way because they're going to get one with him and one without him. I, I don't remember what year it was, but there was a year when a team had like 20 wins and looked like to be a shoe-in for a tournament lost two starters the last week of the season and didn't get in the NCAA. That's my point. So if Vanderbilt, let's say Vanderbilt and Florida are on the bubble, this is for argument's sake, say it comes down to them too, would they take a Vanderbilt that was 100% healthy over a Florida that didn't have a Castleton? Probably. That's what I'm saying. I, I've seen yeah. it happen. Yeah. And I just don't know if that, it's like the last 10 games of your season used to count for a lot. I'd always heard yeah. that. Now you don't hear that anymore. But, you know, I don't I don't. But we've been on this for 30 minutes. We better <laughs> yeah. move on or we're going to listen to listeners. Well, let me – let me. well, and I'm done after this anyway. I, I, think, I, I think we're sure. out of questions. But I, I know a lot of people – here's the thing. Like, look at the schedule again. Let's say they, they win at VCU. Let's say that they beat NC State, which was a four-point loss. Um, let's say they beat Missouri on the road, which is a three-point loss. Just give them just enough to win all those by one game. They probably don't move up in the net more than four or five spots, but at that point, um, I, I would bet just flipping those from losses to wins would get them in right now. And that's where the committee comes in. Because the committee is generally deferred to teams that get big wins. In my 
watching of that. No, the wild card is once you start taking on a lot of bad wins or you have something like a bad out-of-conference resume, which is what cost a a year ago. Right, which will cost Vanderbilt if they don't make it this year. Right. I, I think that's that's the thing that I think people are missing. It was it was the not cashing in on those up early opportunities because I mean being being four and eleven that, now that's a lot of games against good teams, but being four and eleven against teams that that are going to be playing in the NCAA tournament and more of those probably closer to the eleven than the four, I think the committee's gonna look at that and say, you know, if we're if we're gonna put a team in the tournament, let's look at how they played against teams that are in the tournament. And that's why I think even if they went out, um, I think they'd get in at that point. But I think that's why even three and one is is probably dicier than people think. Um, one thing I think is true, and we've talked about this to the people that are critical of Stackhouse who aren't critical. You have to take they're both true. In other words, you have to own your seven and six non-conference just as much as you own your six game winning streak or five game winning streak. So yeah. they both happen. They're both true. What happens, and this is human nature, would you rather have lost five in a row right now and went 10 and three in non-conference? You know, it all it all factors in, so it doesn't matter. It's just because it's happening now as we move toward the end of the season that gets people either jumping on a bandwagon or jumping off of a bandwagon. So they're both truths. There was poor decision-making, whatever you want to say, and poor play early on, and you have to give all the credit the last five. Well, let me give you the, the last. I was going to say that in, in the on the the last, you know, the the pre conference versus the non pre conference. You, you sort of have to protect the teams that don't get a chance to play a lot of teams by putting some emphasis on that. That's when they, you know, that's when Murray State. That's one of the few times a Murray State or somebody might have a chance to pull off a big win because they're not going to get them in in their conference. Although now it's not the OVC anymore, so it's a little different. But you get what I'm saying. Um, now sure. the thing that I think if I were on the committee, I would factor in cause I think this is different now. I think with the portal and everything, your rosters are so different. It's not like it was when we grew up and like you could name every team in the conferences starting five for next year, you know, the day after the season was over because kids rolled over to right. the same school time and time again. And so you didn't have the issues of roster continuity. I think that's a fair point in, in favor of kind of a recency bias is that it may take a long time for roster and new kids to gel. Um, how much the committee considers that? I don't know. There's, I, I, it'd be hard Chris, because there are, like you said, there's so many teams that fit in that. And out of 300 and something teams, that's awfully hard to, to, to garner all that. I agree. That, that'd be tough. Yeah. Now, now the one thing I will say, the bubble may not be, Super great. I mean, North Carolina is right there. I think they're like one of the, the first teams out or first. And North Carolina is yet to get a quad one win. Now, if I'm on the committee, there's no way I'm putting that team in. But the fact that Carolina is right there, now it's it's other metrics are a lot better than Vanderbilt. And that's kind of one of the differences. Uh, plus, you you can't tell me the committee's going to forget <laughs> they were the same guys that, that came within a couple of minutes and winning it all last year. Uh, and, and I'm right. not sure that shouldn't matter. Um, if you're trying to field a competitive event, I mean, I'm. If I were the room, I'd, I'd be lying if I told you that wouldn't be in the back of my head. But um, I, I compared him to Rutgers, so you just don't know what that comp is like this year. Um, comparing it against the field, but but that metric of of 
teams that I think will be in the tournament. That's that that's going to be tough to overcome, and there's not a lot more chances to do that if that's the way they look at well, it. Right, and I, and I have one more comment to that to that point, Chris. I've seen in the past, and you probably have too. Unfortunately, <clears throat> let's say North Carolina and Colorado have the same resume. Who do you think they're going to take? Because for television ratings, well, of, of, of course. And that's yeah. that's the part that I can't stand. You know, let's take the best team. No matter, take the name off the jerseys. But again, I, that doesn't happen because you get the human factor. Well, I'll give you a story of another one I've heard in in, a, in another sport. There was a team taken one year that was like it. It got in, and people were like, "Whoa, <laughs> how, how did that happen? Mm-hmm. We didn't have them on our bubble." Um, and mm-hmm. and the rumor at the time was that the um one of the ads on the committee uh, fancied that guy as his next coach. <laughs> See, there you go. Now that's that's that that yeah. may be urban legend. That may be hearsay. I'm not going to name names. I'm not even going to name a sport. But you do have <laughs> people are human, and stuff right. happens, man. It does. It does. Yeah. Well, it's been great discussion. I, I've enjoyed it. I, I've learned a lot because there's some things that I I didn't understand about the net and Ken Palm, but I, that makes more sense now. Yeah, I, I don't think people need to get too tied into the some of those things but anyway um man i i went way longer than i planned hey thanks for joining us and i guess we'll catch you next week after the um after the ucla series and then what lsu and florida uh two games they they should win in basketball and and if they do then this is a discussion you know we can have next week too let's do it have a great one chris all right thanks luke Thank you for listening to today's episode. We thank our presenting sponsor, Jody Jones DDS. We thank our other sponsors, Sutherland and Belk, Michael Kendrick of the Kendrick Group, and MyPerfectFranchise.net. If you're interested in sponsoring this podcast, and that's how we make this work, please email me at chrislee70 at gmail.com. We also ask that you subscribe to our website, vandysports.com. That is $99 a year. You get things there that you don't get here. And, of course, please rate, review, and subscribe where you see our podcast. That helps us get noticed. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at vandysports.com. Follow me at chrislee70. And finally, subscribe to our Vandy Sports YouTube channel as well. Thank you for listening to the Vandy Sports Podcast, which is part of the 440 Network. I'm your host, Chris Lee. We'll catch you with another episode coming very soon.